Welcome to the Brave Feminine Leadership Podcast. I'm your host, Melissa Hamilton. And at Brave Feminine Leadership, we're on a mission to inspire 100,000 women to be more intentional about their career. In this episode of our podcast, I ask leaders a very simple question. I ask them, was there a moment in their career where they became intentional? And I hope you enjoy their responses. I know for so many of the incredible female executives that I work with, early in our career, things feel easier. You know, if you've got enough talent and potential, you move up the ladder fairly easily and then it gets harder and then you need to start making choices and then you need to get intentional. Let's hear their responses. The first leader I asked is Melanie Silver. Mel is the uh, Managing Director and VP for Google Australia and New Zealand. And she so generously shares a moment in her career where missing out on the MD, MD role turned out to be the catalyst for her becoming quite intentional in her career. Enjoy this conversation. If you're keen to hear the full conversation, you can find it at episode 112 ironically for someone who like is a huge advocate for career planning yeah um no right but you know I'll I'll tell you the story because I think it's actually a good one from a journey point of view um I had been in the sales role for about nine years um and when Miley Carnegie who was the former MD announced she was leaving I was like right this is your moment right? I was on her leadership team. I'd been in the business for a really long time. I thought, this is it. This is my time. Um, and whilst it wasn't directly on my like sort of career plans, yeah. so to speak, it just felt like the natural and organic thing to do. And, you know, I didn't get it at that time. And I got this feedback um, from Karim Temsamani, who was, you know, and still is like, probably one of the best sponsors I've ever had in my career. So I owe a lot to him. Um, said to me, look, you know, you kind of got pipped at the post. There's just a couple of areas where I think you're just not quite ready yet. But, hey, have you thought about doing something else? Mm -hmm. And you know what? Like that to me feels like the breakthrough moment where I became intentional. Okay. Um, that, that moment was, okay, I have a choice here to either go and do this or go and do that. And they will, it's a sliding doors moment, right? <laughs> you know, yeah. that will probably lead me down really different paths. Um, and of course, you know, I took the one that felt ridiculously scary and bigger than I was and a little bit sort of outside of my, um, you know, existence. Yeah. But, oh, my gosh, it was the best thing. It was the best thing I ever did. For Probably not for the reasons that you think either, like, I ended up moving to Singapore. So I gave my family this incredible experience of going to live in another place and, you know, for kids being disrupted, which, you know, let's talk about the number one skill you're going to need to be successful in a couple of years. It's that we got to have that experience. We got to live in a different culture. But personally, from a growth point of view, after being, you know, in a role for nine years, you master it right? You can yes. do it with your eyes closed. Yes. And I had this like whack in the face reminder of what learning felt like. Yeah. And guess what? It feels really uncomfortable and horrible. Yes. <laughs> so yes. When you talk about being brave, 
that to me is a huge element of it now. It's actually going in with the wisdom of I'm probably going to do something and it's going to feel really uncomfortable. Mm. <laughs> but that's all part of it. It's not that I'm not good at it. It's not that I can't do it. It's not that I'm failing. It's just this is what learning feels like. And so that that kind of all crystallised for me in Singapore. Mm. Um, but what a job. Like so broad, diversity of countries, diversity of markets, a different level of networking within Google. Um, and so then, you know, fast forward two and a half years when the MD role in Australia came up again, I was so much more prepared. Yeah. And I've got to say, like I loved that time in Singapore, but I am much better at this role now because I had that experience in Singapore, which let's go back to first principles is because I didn't get a job, right? Yes. yes. <laughs> that was the catalyst for it. So the fail ended up being the biggest breakthrough. The next leader I asked is Michelle Loder. Michelle's a board and executive specialist and she's the managing director of Future Leadership. Michelle talked about her transition from corporate roles from the big end of town and shifting into the entrepreneurial space. I hope you enjoy our conversation. If you want more, you can find it at episode 130. I remember finishing a role and I was working for a company that was listed on the Japanese Stock Exchange at the time. So a really big global company, um, lots of people, lots of moving parts, et cetera, et cetera. And I had become a mum in the kind of five or six years prior and I had two kids in fairly quick succession of each other um, and so I, I suppose I'd started to think about more intentionally about my career and where I was going to to go to and take that to and um, I remember thinking how, how do you choose like when you've been in the big engine the big corporate engine how do you choose not to do that um, and how do you choose to, in my case, become an entrepreneur? Um, what does that mean? What does that look like? Um, and I've always, I, I was born into a, a family of entrepreneurs. So um, so I suppose it was in me, but it was also a really big leap to decide to get out of the, the um, big organ, end of town and the big organisations and get into more um, niche but for me it was about wanting to knowing the greater good knowing what I wanted to achieve out of that and kind of where I wanted to go to and it's probably I've actually never thought this through but it's probably the first time in my career that I've actually been quite intentional about making that decision and that shift because until then my career had been kind of lots of doors where someone had said you know open it a tiny little bit and said you want to come in here and I'm yep for sure in I come um, or here's a passageway over here, you want to have a look down that and I would just run on down that passageway. So, And what was the trigger, do you think, to, you know, do you think you would have got there anyway in terms of being intentional about that next step or was there a definite trigger for you that sort of occurred? Yeah, maybe. Uh, I mean, it probably sounds a bit cliche, but I, I know when you've got kids and at the time my kids were, uh, you know, four and five or five and six or something like that um and just at that age where they're starting to say when I want to grow up I want to be when I want to grow up I want to be and and I was really conscious that um that book the hundred year life had just come out and I was really conscious my kids are going to turn a hundred 
that means they will work until they're 80. That's 20 years more than those in the generation before us will work. Um, and what does that mean about how we learn and how we take ownership for our career pathways, et cetera, et cetera? Um, and I was really conscious that for my kids, um, 80% of the jobs that they're going to do or the careers that will exist when they get to that age, the jobs haven't even been named yet. Like they don't even exist. So there's this huge unknown territory and, and maybe I felt a bit of a self-imposed responsibility to be able to help them navigate that and then that perhaps led to a responsibility to help others navigate that as well. And that's how I kind of consciously chose to be in the board and the executive space um, and to shift the conversation away from what I honestly have felt was quite a circular conversation the, the decade prior, which is um, a lot of conversations with the same people about the same topics and not seeing the dial shift on that. Mm. Um, and so I'd been in that company through multiple ownerships for 10 years. That's a really long time now to stay in one place. Um, and I'd grown a lot and been exposed to a lot, but I guess I just saw that as an opportunity to 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 take stock and to to really consciously decide what I wanted to do next. The next conversation was such an inspiring conversation. I speak to Rhonda Morris. Rhonda is the Vice President and Chief Human Resources Officer at Chevron and has had a career there for over 30 years. I love her response about being intentional in her career. If you want to hear more from Rhonda, it's such an inspirational conversation, episode 118. Enjoy this. I have one um, memory that I, I will never, ever forget. And it's when I was selected for what I'd call my big break position. And at that time, our company was headquartered in San Francisco. And I was selected to be the HR manager for our marketing organization. And the vice president of marketing, who was this legendary executive, took me for lunch in San Francisco. And as we were walking back to the office, he mentioned to me that he received a phone call. And the phone call was someone asking him, the reasons I was selected for a job and was I a diversity selection? And as we're walking, I could feel myself getting very angry. And I thought, how, how insulting is that? Yeah. Number one and number two, who in the world would actually pick up the phone and call this man and ask him that question? And I spent a large part of my afternoon consumed by who was this person. And then I had this, um, this epiphany that this is not about me. Mm -hmm. This is about the other person. And I am not going to let someone project their beliefs about why I was selected for a position on me. And it was very powerful because I've always focused on letting my the quality and the caliber of my work and results speak for my skills and capabilities. But despite that, um, I've throughout my career, I have always been... Um, questioned about whenever I've um, been selected for a bigger job about whether or not it's because of my race, my gender, or both. And at that moment, this was about 20 years ago, I learned how to intentionally not let that bother me. Mm. And in most cases, it didn't, but exactly the same thing happened when I was selected for this job. And I thought, you know, I thought I was over that. And I thought these things wouldn't bother me, but they they do less and less and less over time, but I have been very intentional. And I tell a lot of women leaders in our organization 
who share feedback with me that the same things happen to them, that that is not your issue. That is someone else's. And you've got to get over that in order to continue performing and doing and doing an excellent job. The next leader I spoke with is Sadana Smiles, and our podcast episode is called Be Where Your Feet Are. Such incredible advice, and I um, wholeheartedly suggest that you find that episode 116 and listen to our conversation. Sadana is the CEO of the Real Estate Industry Partners and also was a 2013 Victorian Telstra Businesswoman of the Year. Uh, Incredible and full of simple, practical tips that I think will help you be really intentional as you head into 2024. I've learned a long time ago to say no to stuff because it's not easy. And I think it's one of the things that we need to learn to do in leadership is because you do need to say no to a lot of things, but also say no to stuff that's that's going to eat up your time, but not give you the results. So the things you say yes to need to give you the results that you're looking for. And so I, I learned that a long time ago. So what I do now is And again, it's probably my intentional piece that kicks in when projects come up or opportunities come up. As much as I'd like to say yes to everything, I say yes to the things that are going to fit in together, you know. So uh, the podcast that I do, so I do the two podcasts, but one of them is very much focused around the diversity piece because it's important for me to have a voice in that arena. Mm -hmm. Um, The not-for-profit that I do, that's an important piece because I believe in giving back think you know we all we all rent this space that we're on right in, in on this planet we all here for a short period of time really and we all have an opportunity to leave a legacy behind and so that not-for-profit piece fits in with that part of my life mm-hmm. and so when you have a look at all the pieces of my life they all kind of connect back to my values And, you know, two of my key values are belonging and making a difference. And so a lot of the things that I choose to do fit in with those value sets of mine. Janine Hall's up next, and she's the founder of Escape Haven, a wonderful retreat in Bali that I must admit I've enjoyed several times. Janine and I have a wonderful conversation and we talk about that sort of sinking feeling after two years being on a high-performance program, knowing that the ladder she was on was on the wrong wall. I hope you enjoy this and I hope you enjoy her sharing the moment that she became intentional. If you want to hear more about my conversation with Janine, you can find it at episode 114. It's being able to have really great rituals and practices. Um, I'm a huge advocate of having a really strong morning routine. It's something that we promote um, very heavily on retreat because that sets up your day. Um, And that way you're not having life control you you're in the driving seat of your life you're choosing how you show up you're choosing how you approach a situation as you say we've always got so many choices in terms of how we think feel and act so having real solid base of well well-being tools and rituals can really help with that and it's not something you need a lot of time for you don't need money you certainly don't need to come and see me in Bali for this yeah there's so many things that you can learn or you can just implement so by the end of the day it's like going well okay what did I put into my tank and what did I take out of it because a lot of you know a lot of work will 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 drain you so it's very simple things from um, breathwork practice that takes a couple of minutes while you're still in your bed in the morning or getting sunlight in your eyes within half an hour of waking Mm -hmm. it's one of the best things you could do in terms of being energizing 
having hot water and lemon in the morning and making sure you have nothing sweet in the morning Mm -hmm. because that's going to spike your glucose levels and then you're going to have you know, crashes in your energy during the day. And then you're going to end up, you know, craving more and more sweet things during the day, which is then going to get your glucose levels completely out of whack. Through being able to do just some gentle stretching or fitness, uh, which then is really great for cognitive abilities or being able to have supplementation like, you know, there's so many amazing adaptogens now with mushrooms and the incredible growing awareness of how fabulous these things are. So it's just little bits of tank toppers. Obviously, on retreat, we immerse women in this cocoon of all self-care practices that they can then choose what resonates with them to take home and put them into a really good routine because they feel fabulous. You know, when you often go away, you get this amazing education, um, this practice, and then because you feel so good, you don't want to let go of that feeling. So it's a really great way of being able to pivot onto a path and resetting onto something new. Um, So I love seeing that. The next conversation is with Ilsa Wakeling. Ilsa has made the transition from being an elite athlete to a siege negotiator. And I love how she shares that it was a high-stakes hostage negotiation where she actually got the moment of clarity she needed to be intentional about the next step in her career. Enjoy our conversation. And if you want to hear the full conversation, it's episode 123. My aha moment was uh, I just had my son, Hunter, and this is in 2015. Um, I'd only, I was obviously on light duties um, during my pregnancy and I'd I'd only taken five months off when I'd had him Um, and I did have an emergency cesarean. So um, right from that perspective, I worked with my trainer uh, who was my, at the time, husband's trainer um, and um, got myself physically fit to be able to get back into work. Um, So I did a good three months, four months of just training, um, making sure I didn't do any more uh, damage. Um, it was all about rehab and getting back into that peak fitness. Got back to work. And my first day back at work, um, I was told, oh, you're going to be the lead negotiator. And I thought, Jesus, like I've just been off for <laughs> light duties, uh, five months off, you know, full off. Um, I came back and did my qualifications. I was ready to go. But, you know, I kind of wanted to warm into that role. Um, anyway, so Yep, no worries. I'll be the lead negotiator in this job. It ended up being a nine-hour siege. And in the siege, um, the offender had actually pointed a firearm at me. Um, now, in that circumstance, you you take cover, you you set your position up again and you you start your communication again and you're trying to still take control of that situation. All you're looking for is that, um, you know, that um, uh, peaceful arrest or, or safe arrest um so I'd gone I'd been at this job for nine hours I'd managed to um negotiate him out um it was a safe arrest no injuries to anybody and it wasn't until I got in the car and I was on my way home and I thought to myself I've just been at a nine-hour siege where a guy's pointed a firearm at me and I didn't budge I took cover I did all my you know the muscle memory um took cover did all the safety aspects in it but I didn't budge in the terms of I've now got a five-month-old at home and this is the circumstances that I'm facing with it at work. You know, what happens if it went the other way? Yeah. And, and you know, it's not certainly um, 
uh, it probably sounds extreme, but at the same time, it was really an aha moment from my perspective that I thought, you know what, there's a lot of people in this organisation that can do this role or can step into this role. I need to start looking at my promotional pathway. Um, and so from that point forward, it was about, okay, I, I want to start looking at upgrading into an acting sergeant role, uh, whether that was internally at CERT or whether that was externally going back into uniform policing and getting that contemporary policing again um, and really start mapping out how does my pathway look. Um, I think I'm done with, you know, being operational to that extent. Um, now I want to be more in that leadership role in, in charge of situations where I can, you know, make the call, be the commander opposed to um, being the operator doing the work. So, yeah, it was a bit of a, it was a bit of that moment that you just, it, it rushed over me realizing <laughs> that uh, this is quite risky um, and I, as much as I love it I think I'm ready. And the final leader that I asked this question about is Dr John Izzo. Dr John is an incredible leadership coach and has worked with hundreds of organizations. His episode or the full podcast with me will be released in a couple of weeks time so stay tuned for that but Dr John shares with me a very personal part of his upbringing that led to him reflecting about being intentional in fact he's built an entire career on that enjoy that conversation. You know, it's interesting. I don't think it was in the workplace that I first saw the importance of intentionality. I grew up in a single parent home in in, in New York City. My uh, a father and mother got married very young and split up when I was only six months old. My father moved two hours away uh, to in uh, Connecticut uh, and then died of a heart attack at 36 when I was eight years old. And I had not met him once in those eight years after they split up. And even though I probably didn't know it at the time, Melissa, that um, two things happened for me, I think, as a young man. The first thing is that uh, I knew that life is short. I mean, when your father dies at 36 and you're eight years old, I think I had a heightened sense that the choices that I made mattered that you didn't know how much time you would have to leave whatever legacy you were going to leave. And the second thing is that I'd like to believe if my father had lived longer that I would have had a relationship with him. So I was acutely aware of his lack of intention for whatever reason. It's a bit of a mystery to me why he made the choices he made. So I think even more than in leadership, I think as a very young man, I got very focused on being intentional about my own choices but also trying to influence that others would perhaps not make some of the mistakes that I saw people in my life make as a young man. So I think actually it started very young and probably no surprise that I've wound up focusing on that in my life. I hope you've enjoyed these reflections from these wonderful leaders about moments in their career where they became intentional. If you've been listening to this and you're thinking that it's time for you to be a little more intentional about your career, to be deliberate and intentional and choose the path that you go on, then I would absolutely love to help. If you navigate your way to our website, www.bravefeminineleadership.com, uh, you can actually find a whole lot of resources on there that are there to support you being more intentional in your career. You can also access the show notes and there's lots of different links. We would love to see you following us and becoming part of our community. Have a wonderful day. 